Well, good morning. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be here this morning. Grateful, um, always honored at the opportunity to speak and share the message. Always partially terrified at the same time when the lights come on. And um, but I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the opportunity we have to be together. Um, I want to just give a shout out to our team. You know, some of you were here night of worship. Um, it was such a great time that we got to spend together. And um, I really do have the best team that turns around and um, makes Sunday morning happen just a couple of days later. Sunday comes fast. And so to Rebecca and Laud, who were just on this stage, um, a huge part of making it happen. Um, Rebecca and Matt Laud is in the booth um, hiding, but he makes sure that you can see and hear all that happens on a Sunday morning. We really do just have the best staff and the best team. Even though lately, if you've seen on social media, hasn't been my favorite because we've been playing Nerf Gun Challenge. Has anybody seen these posts? So like, looks like all fun and games, unless you're me and you hate being scared. So if you read through some of the comments, somebody said, this um, sounds like the ultimate scare amber game. And that is, in fact, what it was. Um, I, I don't like being scared, and my team and our staff knows that. So this game was a terrifying couple of weeks of my life. Thankfully, I got out really early so I could get back on with my life. I brought you a picture to show. This is Laud. Um, trying to see if he could hide in the ceiling tiles. He, in fact, could not get up there, thankfully. Um, and then this next picture, this was the last two men standing. Um, this is in the auditorium last week for our staff meeting before we started. They had the final showdown of, um, of our Nerf War Challenge, which is now, praise the Lord, over. Matt is the reigning champion, and we can uh, move on with our lives. Um, I think part of the reason that I wasn't too fond of that game, other than the fact that I didn't like being scared, um, is I kind of feel like, didn't we all just play some version of this game in 2020? Like, waking up every day and like what surprise is gonna be hiding around the corner today. Remember, we were just like doing our normal life and then surprise, you're gonna work from home and do every meeting known to man on Zoom and we get kind of settled into that and then surprise, your kids, they're gonna do school at home with you while you work, except your kids are in kindergarten and they don't know how to do Zoom. So surprise, you get to do Zoom for them and for you and uh, do it all in your house, don't leave. Just kind of stay there, don't go outside. Because remember the things that we got to hear about that was like the surprise nobody saw coming? Murder hornets and then flying snakes. Do you remember? Like that was a real thing. I don't think any of us saw that coming. Um, and so I feel like we just kind of all played that game of like what's coming next and we're still kind of just like, is something coming? What's coming next? We kind of sit in um, maybe just some of the aftermath of this whirlwind of last year. And Justin shared in the last series kind of how we navigated that as a church, you know, remembering why we do what we do and just the impact that last year had. And I think if we're honest, we look at our lives, it impacted us as individuals. And Maybe you're like me and you're kind of ready to just move on. Can we not talk about or laugh about 2020 anymore and just move on? I can remember living 2020 thinking, I cannot wait to be on the other side of this when we can go remember when, remember when instead of when we were living in it. And I think that's where we sit right now. Um, but I think the danger of it is, is we, you know, we're far enough away from 2020 that we can kind of forget some of the impact 
and we're close enough to something else that we can kind of run in that direction. But I think um, if we're honest, we all are still just sitting in a little bit of what just happened. Um, I realized this about a month ago, about three in the morning, I woke up and it was one of those weird, like, am I sleeping? Am I awake? I don't really know. But I woke up and had this picture. Um, I was looking down like at this giant brick wall and I looked down and I was like, who is that? I was like, that's me, like laying in front of this wall. And I'm like, again, half asleep, half awake. And I'm like, oh, I just hit my face on that wall. And in my head, I heard, you didn't even slow down. And I woke up and I was like, that, I think that's how I feel. I think that best summarizes where we are, where I am a year after COVID kind of came into the world like a wrecking ball. Maybe we all just feel like a little bit of like, we just hit our faces on a brick wall. You know, I think um, a year into something kind of starts to feel like the new normal and there's things that we're starting to get glimpses of things coming back to pre-COVID and some things we're kind of settling in going, I think this is gonna be our life for a while. And um, when we look at it, I think we all were personally impacted in some way between masks and shutdowns and quarantines and um, again, working from home and schooling from home and like doing things on Zoom that we never knew was even possible. I watched my daughter do a ballet recital on a Zoom call while the eight-year-olds danced in masks. So that was just like a whole nother, like, what? What's going on? And then we had to deal with all the random, like, shutdowns and shortages. Do you remember at one time, like, you couldn't buy refrigerators? Like, that was a thing. So we had to navigate all the shortages of everything. And then the crazy housing market, bless your heart, if you were trying to buy a house or build a house in this season, because that has just been a different version of chaos. And I think as much as we wanna just be done with it, as much as we want to just move on, I think we need to kinda just sit in this place and acknowledge that there was loss last year um, there was loss of things like weddings and birthdays and holidays and celebrations. And maybe for you, if you kind of personally didn't have a lot of loss or, you know, you feel like, you know what, you loved working from home. It was better doing Zoom than being in person with the people you work with and you were kind of chill with that. Um, I think that the reality is, even if it wasn't a personal impact, there was a division that kind of settled over our world. Feels like this dust that we just can't quite wipe off. That feels like we're divided over so many things, um, politically, over history, over masks and shutdowns and vaccines and everything in between. And I feel like we processed a lot of that in isolation. We processed that alone for the most part and I feel like if maybe we would look each other in the eyes and go, you know what, I bet this was a hard year for you too. And instead of seeing the things that so divide us and the things that we have different opinions on and different stances on, if we could look with some compassion in the eyes of the people that were passing, I feel like we could come alongside of each other and say, that was a lot, and how are you? and let's have some compassion. Um, I feel like the whole world might just need um, what I got for a Mother's Day gift this year from my 10-year-old. My 10-year-old is my builder, and so he worked for a couple of weeks on this gift, and I've gotten things in the past, like picture frames, and um, I think an iPad holder I got one year, and so I was really excited to see what he was gonna build this year, and um, I brought you a picture to show you what he made me. Um, I'm gonna show you, this is the front, 
So it says first aid kit, he forgot the why, so it says hap, hap Mother's Day. I got, I, I got the point. Um, and then the next picture is when you open it up, um, and it is a box of chocolate. It says, if your day is off to a bad start, open this handle. And then that little middle part says, nobody but mommy. So there's this like secret handle, and you lift up that shelf, and underneath is like 20 more little mini chocolate bars. And the thing that I feel like is most genius about this is when he handed me this gift, he said, um, this is your emotional first aid kit. <laughs> so first, genius marketing. Also, um, I think that maybe we all need an emotional first aid kit. I feel like there is something that just, just for what we walk through, like if I could hand them out today, I feel like that would just be perfect. Here's just an emotional first aid kit. Um, perfect, but also sad that that is what my 10-year-old knew that I needed for Mother's Day. <laughs> that, that's where we are. Um, I think for me, I felt like, you know, we're a year in. I think I put a brave face on for a while, like, let's tackle this. Let's do this thing. Um, I'm an Enneagram One, and so, like, in fight or flight, if there's, like, justice at stake or there's, like, a right that needs to be righted, I don't know if that's a thing, but like I will stay and fight it out. And then it gets to a point where if I feel like I can't make a difference or I feel really weary or I feel really discouraged, then my go-to becomes, I'm just gonna hide. Um, and that hasn't been like a 2020 thing. That's just an amber thing. Um, when I have gone through hard seasons, I literally will hide in my closet, like just shut the door, turn the lights out, and just sit there like pretending I can just shut the world out. Um, when my kids were little and I had four, you know, there's like not two seconds in the day where somebody's not just needing something or on you. And we had a walk-in pantry in our old house. And so I would go in the pantry and you could actually turn the corner. And I would turn the corner and turn the lights out. And I would hear, you know, eight little feet running, mommy, mommy. And I would just stand there and catch my breath and also eat chocolate chips right out of the bag around the corner. Um, and I don't know, maybe my kids thought we were playing hide and seek. I wasn't playing hide and seek. I was just hiding from them for just a second. Um, but that's, that's just kind of where I can go to, especially after a year like we just walked through. I want to hide my frustration and hide my emotions. And as I look around, I kind of just wonder, are we all, you know, putting on our brave faces, but behind the masks that we've been wearing for a year now? Um, there's something that we're just hiding from. I think that there's something in our human nature that likes to hide. Maybe you don't physically hide somewhere like I do. Um, I think we can interchange that word with just distracting or ignoring. Um, I think there's just something in us that when it becomes too much, we can just shove, shove that down, shove that emotion down, shove that feeling down and hide and distract. I think that we hide from our to-do list um, by watching Netflix maybe. <laughs> we hide from reality by turning to food or drink. We can hide from people in our lives by isolating and just ignoring that phone call, ignoring that text. Um, maybe we can even hide from who we really are by pretending to be somebody totally different on social media and just posting kind of a highlight reel of our life and portraying that we have it all together. I think if we're honest, we hide from each other. Um, and then if we're really honest, I think that we probably at some point hide from God too. Um, I think 
one of the reasons that I feel confident in saying that there's something in our human nature where we all want to hide is because when we look at the picture um, that Christianity gives of the very first, um, oh, scare me, the very first two people, we look at Adam and Eve and we look at what they did in the moment where crisis entered the world, we can see that there was something in their human nature that caused them to hide. It shows a couple of things when we look at that very first story. It shows that um, we're prone to hide. It also shows we're um, prone to do what we're told not to do. You know, what do you do as soon as you say, don't look behind you? Like, we're gonna look. What does the world do? Like, don't panic and hoard gas. We have people buying gas this week, putting it in plastic baggies. So there's just something in us that's like, we're gonna do the opposite of what we're told. And so we can read um, from the very beginning, we see this prone to hiding nature that Adam and Eve have. In Genesis three, we can read this story when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So they took the fruit, they did the one thing that they were told not to do, and then in 3.8 we read, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. So Adam and Eve, the moment that that very first mess entered the world, it was in their nature, they hid from God. And I think in some way, we have been hiding ever since. One of the things I love about this story is that we not only see Adam and Eve's nature, but we also get to see God's response to their hiding. We get to see God's response to the very first mess of humanity. We get to see what he does when things are our fault or maybe when things aren't our fault. Um, we get to see it was perfect, perfect world, perfect surroundings. There was one rule and they broke it and then they hid. And so how does God respond? So we, we just read verse eight that says, they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Verse nine says, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? God responds to them with a question. I don't know how you read that question, um, what tone of voice you hear God asking that question. I tend to read it um, maybe as I would ask that question if it were my kids who messed up. I would probably, um, I think my, my line is, you've got to be kidding me. I tell that to my kids a lot. Um, I think I would come back and say, you've got to be kidding me. You did the one thing that I asked you not to do. Are you serious? And then if they were hiding from me, I think I read that question of uh, where are you? Like come out, show yourselves. The fact that you're hiding from me, now I'm even more frustrated with you. But I think if we read the question in that way, the way that I would respond, the way that I would ask that question, then we're missing a couple of huge things. We're missing the character and the heart of God and we're missing the fact that he doesn't respond like we do. If we remember who he is, then I think it will change the tone of voice in which we read the question, which means we'll change the way that we see God respond to Adam and Eve as they hide. Also, if God is really looking for them, if he's asking the question because he can't find them, I feel like we would have a real problem 
because he's God and there's two people and what's gonna happen when the world is full of people? Like if he can't keep up with two, yikes, like that would be a problem. So I think we know he's not looking for them. They're not lost. He knows where they are. I think that combined with knowing his character is gonna help us see that he asked that question for a completely different reason. I wanna read to you a quote from, um, there's an author and Bible study teacher called Priscilla Schreier and she wrote a book, a study on Elijah. And I wanna read to you what she said about God's questions. She said, God is good at asking questions. Whenever he does, we can be sure he already knows the answer. Divine inquiries are never for our Father's benefit. He poses them with the intention of helping us see the truth of our situation. God's questions require an authentic soul searching to help us examine the issues of our heart that we hadn't recognized or that we had been choosing to ignore. His questions make us dig deeply beyond the surface layer of hurt, beyond the disappointment and past the veneer of happiness that we've clearly placed before others. And I think if we look at the questions in scripture, we'll be able to see that this really is true, not just of that very first question, but we can look at all kinds of questions throughout scripture and the tone of voice in which we read the question is really gonna determine how we hear the heart of God as he asks questions. And so I wanna look just at three questions that Jesus asked, kind of fast forward to the New Testament and look at three questions that Jesus asks and just just examine and see what we can learn as we look back at that very first question. Um, we have an account of Peter. Peter was a follower of Jesus. He was a bold disciple. And um, there's this story where Peter is gonna walk out on the water to Jesus. And I don't know that we can fully kind of wrap our minds around the context of that story. It's hard to understand um, somebody actually stepping out on the water, but we read that he takes a step and then in Matthew 14, 30, after he takes a step, it says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And in that moment, we get to see how Jesus responded to Peter. The very next verse, it says, Jesus asks him, why did you doubt? So we have a question. Why did you doubt? We're gonna look at another story. There's a woman in scripture who had been sick for 12 years. And scripture tells us that no doctor could help her. In fact, scripture says that she was only getting worse. And uh, she has heard that Jesus can heal. And so she braves the crowd. She goes out into the middle of the crowd and she reaches out and she touches the hem of Jesus's robe. And we read in Mark 5.30, at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him and he turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? So we have another question from Jesus, who touched me? The last one I wanna look at is um, a question that Jesus asked his disciples. So these um, men got to be followers got to see Jesus up close and personal, got to see him do miracles and work in people's lives and we can read a part of a story where they're on a boat with Jesus and a storm hits. Um, this is found in Matthew 8. It says, suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and, went and woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. 
So they're on a boat. Jesus is asleep. And they're afraid that this storm is going to kill them. We see Jesus respond with another question in Matthew 8, 26. He says, why are you so afraid? And so we see three different questions on the pages of scripture. These are just three full, scripture's full of questions. We can read these questions just like we can read that very first question of where are you with the tone of frustration. And if we do that, if we go back and we read Jesus talking to Peter frustrated, saying, Peter, why did you doubt me? Why is your faith so small? Why did you look at the waves? Why would you doubt? We can hear him ask the crowds, asking the hurting woman, annoyed that somebody reached out. We can hear him with tone of frustration going, how dare you? Who touched me? Who thinks that they have the right to reach out and touch me? And we can read the question to the disciples. Guys, you've got to be kidding me. After all that we've walked through, why are you so afraid? And we can hear a vein of disappointment in his voice. But before we decide which tone of voice to hear those questions, I think that we need to look at the character of who God is. We need to be reminded of who he is. Because then I think it will tell us what tone we can read every question that he asks in scripture and every question that he asks us. I wanna read to you just a handful of scriptures that remind us and show us so clearly the character of God. Nehemiah 9, 17 says, you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Psalm 18, two says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Psalm 116.5 said, the Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. Numbers 23.19 says, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? The last one, Deuteronomy 31.8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. These are just five verses, five out of hundreds of verses in scripture that show us the character of God, but we see in those five verses that he is gracious. He is compassionate, righteous, loving, he is faithful. And in knowing who God is, we can start to hear the tone in which we can read those questions. And we'll see that those questions aren't just for our benefit. They allow us to look inward, but they also allow us to see the heart of God. And so when we look back at Peter and we hear him ask, why did you doubt? We can hear it in the tone of voice, Peter, I'm right here with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And we see in that moment, if you read the rest of the story, that he pulled Peter by the hand, pulled him out of the water, and saved him from the waves that he was so afraid of. We can hear him ask the crowds, who touched me? And we can hear a gentleness in his voice knowing that he knows exactly who touched him. He wanted her to know that he, was, he saw her. Maybe she felt invisible 
And he wanted her to hear, I'm gracious and compassionate. And in that moment, Jesus healed her. He did for her what no doctor had been able to do. To the disciples, why are you so afraid? Have you not seen what I've done in your life and in, the, in your life and in the lives of those around you? Did you think I would walk away? I will go before you. I will be with you. And in that moment, we see Jesus calm the storm and save the disciples from the very thing that they were so afraid of. And in reading those questions and in knowing who God is and in knowing that when he asks questions, it's not for his benefit, but it's to help us see his heart and to help us examine the issues of our own heart, we can see that not only did he ask those questions to show him who he was, but he asked them to help them look inward. And I think that Peter maybe would have answered, I saw the waves and I was afraid they were stronger than you. I was afraid that you wouldn't save me. I think maybe the sick woman would have said, I was hiding. If you read that scripture, it actually says that she fell at his feet after this question and told Jesus the whole truth. And I just wonder if maybe part of her whole truth would have been to tell him that she was ashamed because the sickness had made her an outcast, that she didn't wanna be noticed. And then to the disciples, maybe they would have said to that question, why are you so afraid? Maybe they would have said, we thought the storm was out of your control. We thought the storm was bigger than you. He asked them the questions so that they would reflect on their hearts. And then in doing so, look up and be reminded of who he is. Be reminded that he's faithful and that he can be trusted. And I think that that's the very same tone that we need to look back and read the first question that we see in scripture. That very first question that God asked Adam and Eve, where are you? I told you kind of the picture that I had in my mind of him yelling and frustrated and actually looking for them. Where are you and what have you done? But I don't think that that's actually how it went at all. Instead, I picture him bending low. I don't know where Adam and Eve were hiding, maybe behind some bushes, and I picture him just kind of pulling them back and looking them in the eye and saying, where are you? We get to see that God's response to the first misstep of humanity was a question. His response to the first misstep of humanity in the first instance of hiding was grace. And that very first interaction is enough for us to know how we should read every other question that comes after that because we get to see a picture of grace from the very beginning. Where are you? He didn't ask because he didn't know he asked so that they would see where they were, where they were in relation to him and where their hearts were and to help them understand who he is. I imagine in that question, he was going, why are you hiding from me? I made you, I cared for you, I'm here. Why are you there? And then bigger than a physical, where are you? I imagine that he was asking it about their hearts, where are you emotionally? Where is your heart in this moment? Let's get to the root of the hiding. And as Priscilla said in what I read earlier, God's questions require an authentic soul searching to help us examine the issues of the heart that we hadn't recognized or we had been choosing 
to ignore. They make us dig deep beyond the surface layer of hurt and disappointment. And so God asks the question and Adam responds and I think he responds honestly. We see it in verse 10. He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Adam answered honestly and addressed the root issue of his hiding. He was afraid, he was ashamed, and so he hid. And can't we all just relate to that on some level at some point in our lives being afraid because things weren't going like we hoped or feeling ashamed because we had messed up and wanting to hide from God, it just feels easier. Wanting to shove down those emotions, wanting to not address that instinct to hide and retreat. And this very first question that God asks is so simple, but I think it's so powerful and I think it's so important that we would allow him today to ask us that very same question, remembering the posture in which he asks, remembering why, remembering his tone of voice in which he asks that question. A few weeks ago, I actually made myself answer this question. I wrote out and I just sat with it, where are you? And I kind of wanna just say, I asked the question and I learned something and you should do the same. <laughs> but I feel like I need to just tell you a little bit about what I discovered as I asked that question. Because when I asked it and answered it honestly, I wrote down, I am really angry and I'm frustrated and I feel like I'm just right on the edge of my emotion. And I think that the people around me are feeling that and that I'm taking my frustration out on them. I realized in that moment that as I kind of watched and absorbed what had happened last year and um, you know some of the posts on social media and the news and just how people acted, I realized you know I didn't respond with a post. I didn't even respond with words of what I thought or what I felt, but I responded internally and then just shoved it down. And so it was starting to just surface all of those things that I had shoved down in my heart was starting to just bubble over. And when I asked that question, where are you, I realized that I was, I was mad. And uh, I realized this in a really big way uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I've shared before, my husband and I are renovating a house. Uh, I've spoke about it and some messages passed, just God continually teaches me so much through this process. And um, I... I learned that I really wanted a person to be able to blame for my ugly heart and for my frustration. And so we bumped into something a couple of weeks ago where somebody who was working on our house, um, there was some mistakes that were made that cost us uh, time and money and emotion and a lot of other things. And I had a face and a person that I could be mad at. And so I took full advantage of that uh, thankfully, not to that person. My poor husband was on the receiving end of that frustration. Um, I told a friend, I, I wanna blame this guy for everything, like not just the house, but like all of 2020 is all of a sudden this guy's fault. And I realized I didn't even know that was in there. I thought I had been sharing and talking and processing through last year. I didn't realize that I had shoved that down. I didn't realize that there was so much pride and anger and fear in my heart. And it was important for me to get quiet with, with the Lord and address that and let him ask me 
where are you? And I imagined for me, I wasn't hiding in the garden. I was hiding in my closet with a bag of chocolate. And I imagined the Lord just kind of putting the chocolate down and going, where are you? Where are you? What's going on in your heart? And then I got to sit in that place and kind of sit with my frustration and confusion. And I looked at this picture of my ugly heart. And I really was ashamed and embarrassed that all of that was there and that I was bumping into people who were getting an overflow of that. And at first I started to feel that shame and I started to have guilt because it was ugly. But then I remembered the tone of voice and I remembered who God is as he asked me that question. And I remembered he asked it so that we could work on it, so that I could identify it and bring it to light and ask for him to help. But he didn't ask that question to go, you should have walked through 2020 better. You should be a better mom and a better wife and a better boss and a better friend and teacher and sister and daughter. He wasn't trying to bring shame. He was going, look up. Look up and remember who I am. Look inside and answer where are you. Because when, when we hide, when we become so self-focused, we can forget who he is. That's what our distractions do. But his questions always remind us of who he is. And even bigger than that, remind us of our great need for him. And the reason that we can stop hiding and stop distracting is not because of who we are. It's because of who he is. And in knowing who he is, it's safe to answer the question, where are you? No matter what your answer might be, it's safe because his character is unchanging. And we don't have to be afraid of what we're gonna uncover when we allow that question to look inward. We're reminded of our need for him, which is the whole point. And next week, um, we're gonna look at the next question that God asks Adam and Eve because what's really cool is he doesn't just ask this question and then leave them to identify it and kind of, okay, figure it out. He asks another question and then he does something that so clearly shows our need for a savior and how that's fulfilled in Jesus. And it's the most beautiful picture right in the middle of the mess that Adam and Eve made for themselves. But I think before we get to that place, we need to sit with that very first question. Where are you? Again, Adam and Eve didn't, uh, God didn't ask them because he didn't know where they were. He knew where they were. He knows where we are. He knows right where we are. He sees us and he meets us there with grace and compassion and kindness and mercy and love because that's who he is. And so as simple of a question as it is, I wanna invite you this morning to ask that question. And maybe for you, picture where you go to when you hide or you distract. It might not be a closet like it is for me. Maybe for you, it's work. Maybe for you, it's a phone, some kind of screen, a TV, wherever it is. And would you picture him getting low and looking at you and asking, where are you? Maybe for you, it's something from 2020 or maybe it's from years ago, something that you feel like you've been hiding from and it's not safe to bring it to light. Would you remember who he is? And because of that, it's always safe to answer that question. 
I, um, I want to share with you, this feels kind of like a random way to, <laughs> to wrap up this message, but I was working on this message this week, and I had promised my kids I would take them fishing, um, and so I took a blanket and my computer, took them fishing, and um, I got to literally this point in my message this week, and Micah, my 10-year-old, yelled for help. Um, he had caught a turtle. And he had gotten really good at like catch and release for the fish, but he was like, I don't know what to do with a turtle. I'm looking at it going, I know less of what to do than you, and I'm not going to touch it, so we have a problem. Thankfully, um, this older man walks over. He had been over on the side, and he walks over, and he says, I'll help you guys. And he picks up this turtle, and he tries to get the hook out of his mouth. And as soon as he reached in, that turtle hid. And I'm staring there looking at this turtle and I'm like, come on, turtle. Like, we're trying to help you. And it was like God said, that's you. You're that turtle. And it was so simple. But in that moment, and I watched this sweet older man talk to this turtle, and we're all trying to coerce this turtle out of his shell, and he's going, this man said, sometimes they just bury so deep in there. And I think sometimes, this is a picture of what the Lord does. He's trying to free us from the things that we have in our hearts, those hooks that keep us wounded and keep us defined, and he's reaching in his gentle hands to bring freedom, and we're so quick to retreat. We're so quick to hide and mistake his hands for harm instead of love. And so with this picture, would you allow him access to your heart this morning, remembering who he is, remembering the posture in which he asks you the question, where are you? And as you remember, would you open up your hearts to be honest with the answer, remembering that it shows us where we really are, where our hearts really are, and more importantly, who he really is. And so we're gonna close this morning with a song. Um, Rebecca's gonna come and sing this song. It's called Quiet, because for me, I needed um, a place to be quiet and to allow God to just ask that question over my life, over my heart, And so before we head back into the day, into the week, I wanna give you just a minute to be quiet and to sit and to look at your heart and then to look up and to be reminded of who God is, to be reminded that he's not just exposing stuff in your heart to shame you, he's not. He wants to bring it out to remind you of who he is And to show you, like me, yeah, that is yuck. That pride and that anger and all that stuff in your heart, yeah, that's gross. But I'm here, and you need me, and we can work on this together. So in these couple of minutes, would you just allow him to have access to your heart to ask that question? Would you pray with me? God, we're so grateful for who you are, thank you for your questions. Thank you for the tone of voice in which you ask them. And as we sit 
in this space for just a couple of minutes. God, some of us are carrying around wounds and hooks and things in our heart that have been there for a long time. Some of them were just planted over the last year. But God, would you allow us openly to just answer that question and allow us to address before you where we really are. And thank you that in doing that, we can look up and be reminded of who you are, that you're gracious and kind and compassionate, that you're righteous, that you're faithful and constant, and that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you go before us, and that we can fully trust in who you are as we answer the question of our hearts, identifying where we are. It's in your name that I pray, amen.
As you go out into your week, the world isn't quiet, Um, but may you remember that at any point you can find a space to just let God ask that question, where are you? And it's safe to answer it. It's safe for you to be honest because who he is is unchanging regardless of what you discover might be in your heart. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Next week, we're gonna look at the very next question that God asks Adam and Eve, and we're so excited to look at the implications of that and what it meant and what he taught them through that. And so we hope that you'll join us next week, and I hope that you have a great week. Thank you so much for being here.